This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, friends. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. And on this episode, we're talking about the comment section. All right, so here we go. Let's jump into the comment section. And as always, my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, how are you today? Good morning, Eric Hulkren. How are you today? I am fantastic, actually. I hope you had a great Easter. I hope you've enjoyed the uh, the shift in the weather. It's been welcome, <laughs> to say I, the least. I enjoyed both of those things. I got my first vaccine on Friday, so things are things are good, dude. Congratulations. I'm, I'm coming uh, up on my second. I think it's April 15th and then I am a free man. <laughs> Except we, for the variant. We, we will travel to Italy <laughs> immediately following. <laughs> right. Amalfi Coast. I've always wanted to see it. I want to stop before we get into the topic today, though, and say uh, congratulations to you uh, and, and me for crossing the 40 episode threshold of Behind the Headlines. Uh it's gone by pretty quick. It has. Episode 41 is happening right now. So yeah, it's been it's been fun, man. And I want to thank the listeners uh, who obviously make this possible and, and provide a lot of feedback. I do hear from a lot of you about topics you'd want to cover, um, things you disagree with, and you can keep it up here. Uh, it's all part of the conversation. We do appreciate it. A lot of times we deal with serious topics on here, Eric. Um, Always oh, up to this point, I've had guests on the show. Today, we don't have one because uh, the substance of what we're going to talk about is actually something that's directed at a lot of our journalists and employees at MLive. And uh, once we get into the topic, you'll see maybe why I didn't want to subject anybody up with their own name to some of the things uh, that we're going to talk about today. But basically, we've seen in the last few years, anybody who's been on the internet or social media, gosh, just out in society, is a, a real uptick in the um, intensity, <laughs> and I'm being polite, of which political discourse and social discourse is, is taken in America. And there's a lot of talk about politicians being polarized, but it seems like society is too, and we've lost the ability to have civil conversations. Um, uh, last year, of all the columns I've ever written on MLive, uh, the one that got the most readership and the most feedback was when MLive stopped running comments at the end of our stories. And, you know, there are a lot of people who disagreed with that because they felt like we were squelching free speech or that, uh, you know, we, we were being biased in some way and cutting people off to have their comments. But the fact was it just become an open sewer. And uh, just like uh, you're, you were told when you were little, like one bad apple, there were a small percentage of people were making it intolerable for the great percentage of people who came there for, for positive reasons or to share. And now they didn't go away. Right. 
<laughs> that 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 before we like get into this, that is the trick of all this, right? Is that if you shut off one of these, they show up someplace, they don't go away, they just find another venue. Like anybody who's had rodents or ants or something, uh, know, <laughs> knows that's true. If they can get in the pantry, they will. But we shut down comments, which had, I think, the effect of making them live a little more pleasant place to come and read and hang out. But we still have Facebook. We still have Twitter. Um, we still have email uh, for those who want to go a little old school. And in the past couple of years, especially this past year, 2020, with um, the George Floyd death and the social uh, racial protests uh, for racial equity uh, with the election, and then what became a real political football around shutdown orders and coronavirus, we saw a real uptick in the invective, the anger that was being directed at people just doing their jobs. And, you know, in one, we wrote about how politicians were subjected to this. Uh, Governor Whitmer was, you know, the subject of a kidnap plot by extremists. Um, but even that uh, became very polarized. And, you know, some people have called that fake news. But the election, of course, which already just built on existing divisions among people, some of which was rooted in, in politics for sure, but some of it too was in social policy. But journalists themselves have become under increasing fire. And I've been in the business almost 40 years. I remember you'd be out on a certain story and you might get hackled by somebody or, or someone didn't want to talk to you or was angry, but I didn't see it as a, a general trend where as a part of your job, you're, you, you're supposed to be subjected to whatever is on anybody's mind. And that they say it under their own name. In a lot of, uh, a lot of instances, they use their very own name and you were like, you know, my mom would want to wash my mouth out with soap right. <laughs> back in the right. day. So you're, you're an expert in social media. You're an expert in how, you know, companies navigate that for their brands and so forth, but also you're a keen observer, society and people. And I really want to have a conversation with you today on, on why we've gotten here and truly, if there's anything that can be done about it, other than I don't think trying to shame people is going to is going to change things. No, and I, I would I would love to start there because one I think one of the issues before we get into what is said with our team members, one of the issues is there's a, a billion dollar industry out there designed to make this happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in some cases, and I'm not exonerating anybody for any of the actions that they take because those are the actions of themselves. But in a lot of these cases, they're designed right to stir up the stew and get everybody mad as hornets to just yell at, at everybody to lash out. I mean, the amount of people that I bump into that will tell me stories that they no longer talk to their uncle or they no longer follow their mother on Facebook in the course of the last five or six years is staggering to me. Because if before we get into the meat of this, if you can't repair a situation between you and your mother that happened because of posts on social media, like that doesn't, that that's not a bearer of good news of how to answer your question. We get out of this. But I think the first well, understanding is the empathy that there's a machine designed to help us divide uh, instead sure, of come together. I.e. what they would call engagement. Yes. Yes. The, the, you know, and, and I say this all the time is that, you know, engagement is this sword of Damocles that once you mm -hmm. get a taste of that, you've got to get more and more and more. Right. And when you get further down the path of that engagement, instead of whatever sort of deeper 
connection with whomever you're trying to connect with, you have to step over the line to keep the engagement up. That's just how it works. You got to up. Well, it's desensitization that you get from the little nibble and they've got to keep coming back at us. So we keep pressing the pellet to get the pellet. We mm -hmm. press the bar. And do you remember I don't know, five, six years ago, Facebook added uh, extra emojis that you could, oh, you know, anger. Now they added a care one where someone's hugging a heart. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. Well, there, there's a, I don't want to call it nefarious, but there's a business purpose behind that. And that's sentiment analysis. And that's because just likes and dislikes didn't tell them enough about us that they could exploit. Right. They needed to know if we were angry, if we were sad, if we were empathetic. And we're, we're willingly giving this all up. And the filter bubble on the first page, the book, the filter bubble says, if you get something, if you buy something on the internet, that's the product. If you get it for free, you're the product. Yes. And we've become the product. And then, the, you know, the 2016 election kind of blew that open when it became pretty apparent that outside actors were using the power of social media to, to, to steer us in certain directions and to divide people. And for their purposes. And, you know, I just saw this morning before we came on that Facebook now makes as much money worldwide as all the other media put together, mm -hmm. the traditional mainstream media. And that's not just the New York times and us. It's like, you know, it's, it's the guardian, it's newspapers in Sweden, they make as much as real news. And so there's a whole bunch of issues we can unpack today, sort of what's happening globally with, countries like Australia coming back on Facebook and making them trying to treat them as a publisher that I think they are and also make them responsible for what's happening. But we can get we can get more into that. And I'm going to start with just a provocative statement that came to me a few years ago in a conversation. And I didn't say it to stir things up. I said it because I felt it to be true. And it was in the wake of some of like the Parkland uh, high school shooting, uh, I think it may have been. And we were having a conversation in the office and I said, if it were up to me and I only had a choice to ban automatic weapons in America or ban Facebook, I would ban Facebook because I think it does more damage. And everyone I've said that to expecting like they're going to go, wow, that's really out there has agreed with me. I would not disagree with that statement at all. So we're in this climate. Where, where do we go from there? And I, I, I don't know because, the, you know, the the sensible the sensible human in me is like, we do it one person at a time and try, you know, but, but the scalability <laughs> of that makes it impossible. Right. And so it's why you've seen so many people in the last, let's say 18 months sort of navigating over to LinkedIn, where I will see John Heiner's more personal side of him that I mm -hmm. wouldn't have seen on LinkedIn three years ago because he's going there so that he gets away from Facebook. And, and where this gets interesting is a lot of people leave Facebook to go to Instagram because they don't actually know that it's the same company. So yeah, you've left to go see pretty pictures and maybe the polarization isn't there, but you're still leaving the data and that data is then being used on Facebook and Messenger and wherever right. else they want to use it. Um, but I, I don't know where we start other than, I will throw a question back to you. Before we even get into the specificity of the comments, I often both on this podcast and a bunch of other podcasts I work with the MLive team, like I often will start those podcasts by going, I don't know how you do what you do. I don't know. Because it's, it's, it's gone beyond just, you know, the craft of being a journalist, the craft of being a storyteller, the craft of uh, reflecting 
culture back to that culture so they can understand the world around them. It now comes with a boxing match or an MMA match that happens in the comments of wherever that story ends right. up. And it's real time. Uh, and it's real time and never ending, right? Because you could, I so, mean, a story that you could have put up a year ago could still be getting comments just because. Right. And I need you to put on your uh, foggy black and white glasses so we can go back into the 80s when I started my career. <laughs> Got it. Let me go get my parachute pants and let's do it. <laughs> everything was everything was so perfect back then. But yeah. anyways, yes, uh, we would still cover the same kind of stories in our communities. We would cover uh, controversial issues. We would cover things that were dividing the community. And if, if it, unless you were at a public event or a public meeting where someone could see you face to face and say something about your coverage, generally what you do is you waited for the snail mail to show up or a letter to the editor, right? And here's the thing, the, the very out there fringe, angry, you know, things that writers who, who, who were saying things that were not just provocative, but that couldn't be, they weren't true or couldn't be proven, didn't run. It didn't run in the paper. I mean, I guess they could go staple it to a telephone pole, but it, it people weren't going to see it, you know? And I had a little funny aside. My first editor was probably the funniest person I've ever worked with. And um, he would come at, after lunch every day and open the mail and he'd read letters to the editor. And he had, he came up with what he felt was the perfect headline for some of, some of these letters. And it was idiot find stamp. <laughs> <laughs> But those idiots now have a platform on equal footing uh, in many ways as sensible, reasonable people. As a matter of fact, I think some of the sensible, reasonable people are checking out. Uh, well, the, so there's there's a lot to unpack there. One, yes, sensible, reasonable people are staying away from these because it's fraught with disaster. Two, um, you know, I, I won't disparage the humans that you're talking about, but I will say the other side of that argument that you have called the idiots, right? It's not just that they have parody with the reasonable person, depending on your point of view. They have parody with NBC. Yeah, they, true. They, they have a publisher in their pocket. And, you know, so when you ask, like, what could be done, I often, and I feel like old man screaming at clouds a lot with this, but I mean it. I wish, I've got a five-year-old. That five-year-old was handed an iPad in school. Day one, you know what that five-year-old wasn't given any sort of media literacy. Right, if we right. started media literacy at kindergarten and explained to them that this will follow them forever at this point, forever, mm -hmm. that you, you know, you might change a little bit of that to go back to your example from the eighties, when somebody physically has to write a letter and find the address and get a stamp and put it in there by the time that's all done. I would guess, venture to guess, except for, you know, people who are wholly on the fringe and maybe dealing in conspiracy theories, most human beings would have burned out that anger by writing the letter. And yeah. when the, if they got a letter back or it got printed, that would just be like, wow, somebody, you know, I've been, to use a, a modern vernacular, like I've been seen in this, in this instance. Mm -hmm. You know, my thing got printed, somebody saw it, somebody read it, maybe change is coming. Where, to your example, whatever, 10 minutes ago, we're more like that rat on the wheel pulling the, the, the string for a treat, and you just keep pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and get treat after treat after treat after treat, but you're never satiated, right? If you no. did nothing but no. ate Snickers all day long, you would never feel hunger or never feel full because you're not eating an actual meal. You're eating candy. Right. right. Yeah, I, I once likened the internet to like... Um having meals of Pez. <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. Yep. It's like, we like, we like to like get the next pellet 
you know, and it's fun to play with your Pez dispenser, but you're not getting any nourishment. And the other thing is people, if they even thought like take a journal every morning, instead of waking up and looking at Facebook, wake up and write your deepest fears, your deepest hopes, your, your deepest secrets, the things that you, man, I wouldn't want my, my mom to know this, you know, they know that about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's all out there. And they know that because you told them, you didn't tell them in like declarative sentences, but they know based on your behavior on the internet. And so anyways, I want to get to the, back to the topic about the tenor that this has created and, and how it's starting to affect uh, people in real life, uh, IRL um, and, and journalists. And I used to be able to work, my work was judged uh, in the words that were printed earlier in the day. And in terms of bias, if someone saw bias in a story, they complained to my boss or whatever. I hope I never did that. But right now, the starting point is camps that attack journalists and the fake news hasn't helped. The fake news is a um, paradigm that's been set up. As a matter of fact, I just want to tell you real quick, you know, the uh, restaurant owner who got put in jail yes. from Holland. Yep. We sent reporters out to a rally that they were doing at a restaurant uh, when she'd been arrested. And there was, uh, I believe it was a pastor. He had a megaphone and not, and none of the people who were there, they had flags wearing flag, you know, gear and all this and Trump hats. And he had a megaphone and he said, I'm going to lead us all in prayer. And he started the prayer by seeing it saying, well, look, the, the fake news media is all here and you can tell who they are because they're wearing diapers on their face. And that was our masks <laughs> and nobody else in the crowd was wearing masks. And I'm like, when, when and where was it okay for someone who's leading a prayer <laughs> to disparage people who are there just doing their jobs, you know, and that that's just where we're at. And I would not go see the baker in town. It'd be one thing if I went to the baker in town and I'm standing in line and they single me out and they harass me and they give me, you know, they give me terrible food and I get E. coli. Sure. Yeah. So then I have a complaint, but say I don't even go to that baker and I go online and just trash this guy say he's a, you know, he's a piece of blank. I hope his business burns down. What, where have we come in society that we think that that's okay. Or that the, the rest of society doesn't turn around and say, this is intolerable and do something about it. If I was at a tiger game sitting behind the dugout and I was just hurling profanity at Cabrera, they'd come and usher me out of the stadium. Mm -hmm. If I was at a concert, I'm heckling, non-stop the performer i'm gonna get ushered out of the stadium i might even get banned from coming back and yet people will go on social media and go on twitter and just attack our employees people they don't know who are just simply doing their jobs and um i'd just like to get your thoughts on that um so i i have a couple you know and a lot of the the response to the fake news is that we'll just have you know, neighborhood, neighborhood journalists do, I'll use journalists in air quotes, right? Like we'll just have people in the neighborhood will tell us what's going on. Right. But even that is fraught with disaster because they don't necessarily understand things like sunshine laws or, or all of the things that we're beholden to in order to properly craft a story. Um, and I would go back to, you know, you said very early in this podcast, you mentioned the phrase that a lot of this type of vitriol comes with, which is 
free speech. And when people use that phrase, I would say 90% of the time they don't actually understand what it means and what it comes with. And it doesn't mean you can say whatever you want devoid of consequence. And so when you see Rick, who yells about that baker online that he's never been to, gets fired from his food distribution mm -hmm. job at Gordon Food Service, and you're all right. up in arms, how did he get fired for a Facebook post? That's free speech working, my friends. Yeah, true. He can say whatever he wants, but there, you know, there is no chance that he gets away with no consequence if that's what his employer deems important. And so, you know, I, I don't know what, and, and I actually fear for what kind of a world we would live in if it didn't have journalists, if it didn't have people who are trying to navigate through society to help us make sense of what is important and what is meaningful. And the damage that has been done by the phrase fake news because it automatically it's like you know it's like a wild card in any card game that you're playing that it gets you out of having to logically debate the topic at hand i just scream fake news then i'm done i don't have to read the article in most cases i haven't read the article i just know that i'm on side a and you're on side b you like vanilla ice cream and i like chocolate ice cream so therefore you need to die in the comment section so i go there right and i wage war on you and We've seen over the last year with people being in their homes and away from human contact, this has only gotten worse because we've lost a lot of the nuance. When you and I are talking and doing this show on Zoom, I mean, I would consider you a very close friend of mine, but even I cannot pick up on all the nuance of your conversation through a mediated screen. Now take your face out and we're just texting back and forth. That's another layer removed. How many times have you texted somebody and they didn't get the joke or thought you were mad or thought you were happy when you're... It's because we're losing that nuance that we pick up in nonverbal communication, which is why it's very easy in the comment section to take somebody's head off you don't know because you don't have to look them in the eye. And so I don't know what the solution is, uh, but I could talk about this forever. And I think a lot of it starts with understanding what free speech means in the context of the United States and media, understanding that you're walking around with a publisher in your pocket and should act accordingly, understand that the record that you put on that device is permanent and long lasting, and understand that we should start with media literacy when they're about five and you would have an under, I'm serious. You would have an understanding of what happens when you tweet out and then 15 years ago, 15 years later, lose a job as a C-suite executive because something you said when you were 23. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLI podcast. I'm John Heiner, and I'm here with our my co-host and my producer, Eric Culkin, who also has the most incisive mind I know about social media and the environment that we're living in these days. And, and Eric, you just made some really good points. Uh, first, just about rules of the road and what you should need to understand about you know internet and social media literacy and how it impacts our lives. Uh, you open the show by talking about the machine behind all this. And, and that's the thing. It's like watching the matrix mm -hmm. or some sci-fi movie where you get to the point of the movie and you go, Oh, you know, we're the, you know, we're the puppets. Um, and, and it, it's not hard. I'm a, I'm a journalist. So I'm already cynical, but the more you learn about this, the uglier it gets. And, and I would say the, the, the other trope that gets used a lot, John, is that people think it's Orwellian. It's 1984, where I, I don't know wh where you land, it's more Huxley for me. It's Brave New yeah. World, where we've given yes. up on thinking and just let everyone think for us, right? right? Which is far more dangerous than 
mass surveillance, which we've also opted into. So I guess it's sort of a Venn diagram between the two, but yep. mostly Brave New World with a smidgen of Orwell on top of it. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, last uh, after the lockdown started, I was somewhere. Somebody I know's wife was wearing a T-shirt and uh, instead of Make America Great, it said Make Orwell Fiction Again. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, we're talking about demonization too, because I think it's a really important it's a point I wanted to get across to our listeners. And here's the thing: 99% of the people who hear this or read my column this week are not the problem. But you know what? That's kind of the ratio. It, it only takes that one percent. It's it's a drop of of lemon juice in a gallon of milk. And I'm gonna go back to the comments. Uh, the company I work for, and you work for too, Advanced Local, has hundred million readers a year across the country. And when we had comments on our websites across all of our sites in any given month, we'd have, well, in a year, we would have 50,000 registered commenters across the whole company. Any given month though, 30 days, only about 2,500 would comment. And yet we had to shut down comments mm -hmm. because of the small percentage. And so when I give some examples here, I don't want any listener here to say, hey, you know, why are you directing this at me? I don't do this. And I agree. Most people don't. But the climate, here's the thing. It only takes a few to create a hostile environment for journalists to try to do their job. And thank you for the stirring defense of not only the First Amendment free speech, but what we do and its importance in society. Of course, I believe that I was racist right. why I'm doing what I'm doing. But I think a functioning, not just a functioning democracy, but a society needs professionals who separate the wheat from the chaff and who tell you what something means when it's happening and go into the breach and, and answer those questions. But let me let me just take you down into the, the seventh level of hell here for a second, if, if you would. This part of the podcast um, brought to you by Dante's Inferno. Go ahead, John. <laughs> Bring us down to level seven. All right. So this was uh, an email. Uh, it wasn't even on social media. They used good old fashioned email. Uh, they went back, you know, 20, 30 year old technology here. Um, the guy's name is on here. And it was sent to one of our, our political reporters. And it was when um, she wrote a piece at, in the summer. It was when Portland was having protests every day. Okay. And there were there were rumors or you know, not rumors. It was it was uh, thought that federal police officers in, in were coming at night and detain like grabbing protesters and dragging them away and whitmer was our governor was given a press conference and she said some in a quote she said that they're allegedly detaining protesters that federal agents are allegedly detaining protesters all our reporter did was quote the governor in a story and this was the email that she got allegedly detaining protesters you're a blanking coward Blank your blankety apartment and that worthless life of yours that you think you should be, be protecting, scumbag. Die slow. It's not even like she ran over this guy's dog. It She's just doing her job. Uh, another one of our political reporters, this was a tweet on Twitter, all right, under his account. Do <laughs> me a favor. Do me a favor, and under the person's name, although this may be sure, yeah, know, yep. a pseudonym. Do me a favor, everyone at MLive that supports these blank restrictions and supports that blank of a Nazi Whitmer, go kill your blanking self, please, you blanking, worthless, fear-spreading pieces of blank. 
I hope your building blows up and burns down with all you blanks in it. You are the problem. Burn in hell. And then insert a derogatory term for people with alternate lifestyles. Okay. You, you, you don't seem shocked by any of this. But. Well, so, I mean, you're not going to shock me on Twitter because, you know, I'm, I connect to and talk to most of the people that work at our company on Twitter most of the days. So I see, and I won't drop any names for the reason that we don't have anybody on the show, but I've seen just abhorrent behavior that I, I, I don't even know where you come up with the words. Right. Right. I mean, obviously I, there, it's, it's not any Longfellow or anything. Right. But it, you know, um, but just the fact of like, where does that, where does the anger come from? And once you've sent that email or once you've sent that tweet, then what, right? Is it just on to the next, like I, I before right. you go on, I want to give you a great example from yesterday. I was working okay. with our sister market in Cleveland. We were having a celebration. The a Indians, celebration. A celebration. The Indians are back. It is their home opener. Human beings are allowed in a stadium. Right. There is literally nothing but capital H hope to talk about this moment. <laughs> and quite, you know, quite honestly, like the, the Cleveland Indians might not be a great baseball team this year. That said, it was still a hope-filled event. Sure. We are 90 seconds into this thing. And the very first comment, again, gentleman uses his real name. The very first comment is, let me get this straight. I have to use an ID and a credit card to purchase a ticket to go see the game today. But you all find the Georgia voter laws oppressive. That was 90 seconds into this thing. Then he goes on and he's calling each one of us out. So there's five journalists who cover the beat in various ways and myself. And he's calling all of us out wanting to know why we're not wearing masks. Well, sir, we're not wearing masks because I'm in my house and there's no one else here. Like they're in their house and there's no one else. here. We're not together. Um, and I, I just thought to myself, as this event is going on and you're seeing all these people have a great time and celebrating that society has turned a corner and we're moving in this direction and people are going to eat a hot dog and a beer with a baseball game, like for, right. for real, for real, right. where, where, where do you find anger in that? Even if, even if you are the person that wants to tell me to not wear a diaper on my face or whatever, we've mo we're moving forward on your team to what we were before going to events, going to baseball games, going to concerts. And yet here you are making sure that everybody has a terrible time as a profession. Yeah. Well, it, uh, the psychology of that, the personal psychology mm -hmm. is, I'm not too interested in it because it's, it's pretty sad and obvious that, you know, those people need to get a life. And, um, but imagine like, I just view the social media and the internet kind of like, you know, middle school or high school anyways, but you're sitting at your table at lunch with your friends and somebody plunks down and just starts antagonizing you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? What are you doing that? What, why? Right. But I think some menacing parts of this too. That guy or, or gal, whoever that was, was just being an ass, frankly, um, and had no sense of context. But I'm going to read you something from another one of our reporters um, who was sharing. I asked for some, some examples that people could share with me what they're putting up with. Um, uh, I am most disturbed by is the doxing that happened to me last summer after reporting on a young COVID victim. In addition to the hundreds of emails I received attacking my integrity and character, dozens of people also started spamming my Facebook messenger, commenting on my personal posts, which resulted in me having to completely lock it down. Many of them were nearly identical, so I expect my personal information was shared widely as part of a coordinated effort. The experience I changed how I use the internet. 
I rarely use Facebook anymore and have taken more steps to conceal personal information. And it really did a number on my mental health. Um, another reporter, you talk about doxing, which is putting now, let, people- let's let's pause. Yeah, I was going to say, let's explain doxing for people who may go ahead. Be, you're, you're more of an expert. At it well, I would love that you were about to. I want to hear what your ex- explanation uh, is. Well, doxing is when people look up or find or discover personal information on somebody, such as their phone number, address, where they work their relatives and put that stuff into the internet or into chat rooms or channels where people can get it. So for the express purpose of harassing you. Correct. Yes. Or, yes. or even, even worse, the, the, you know, the, the threats of violence. And what's interesting is uh, this year has been exponentially worse than anything I've ever experienced, which is saying something. I covered Trump 2016 and Larry Nasser, uh, you know, and another journalist, who I asked uh, to share examples, uh, a male journalist said his detractors looked up his parents and where his parents lived and started harassing his parents. And I'm like, what universe, again, going back to the baker or my mailman or, or whatever, this has to stop. And there's two, there's two places, I guess, where you can go on the garden hose, right? You can go where the spigot is, or you can go to the end where the water comes out. You tie a knot in it or something. But, you know, in the broader sense, and I touched on this at the beginning of the conversation, like what's happening in Australia, do we need gross measures to restore sanity? Or to your point, you know, the whole analogy of throwing starfish back off the beach when there's a million starfish on the beach. Well, I saved that one. Where do we start to approach this, Eric? Well, there's got to, there's got to, it's this era has to change or end. It has to go somewhere. What happened in Australia is interesting. Obviously it has you and I both, lean conspiratorial at you know it's because it's got rupert murdoch attached to it it does have a bias to it right so obviously mm-hmm. he wanted it in his favor he's an icon in australia all of the but the this is this is the part that i would love to see and this is where it starts is that we have to ask as a society we have to ask deeper and harder questions of these companies because of what is happening as you know one might call it an unintended or an intended consequence of all of this is these sorts of things that were doxing a reporter's parents like that those synapses in your head are the ones that fired on a Tuesday. Like that's what happened. (laughs) You know, we've got to ask some deeper questions. And when, you know, two days ago you hear that Facebook again had a leak of 583 million pieces of user information, know that one, it didn't happen yesterday, happened in December. So that stuff's right. been on the dark web for four months. So your credit card information, all that stuff has been scraped right. at this point. You know, when when it shows up, you know, when somebody, a journalist ferrets out this information, it, it's, it's way too, too late. It's too late. <laughs> but but I would say things like GDPR which is the general data protection regulation in the UK that allows people what is known as the right to be forgotten, the right to not be tracked all over the internet. Um, It's not a perfect law, but it's a great start. Same with the, what they call GDPR light in California, where they're starting the same Mm -hmm. thing. Now, politically, I understand that California has, you know, some polarization. I get it. Also not a perfect law, but it's a start to a discussion so that we don't sit on a podcast talking about how a journalist's parents got docked for a story he wrote reflecting the culture back to itself because that's bananas. And I promise you, I promise you, that is not a 
country, that's not a culture, that's not a planet you want to navigate through. That's not where you want to live. You do not want to live on a planet where that's what we do as a reaction to a story we read on the internet. Well said, my friend. That, I mean, I'm going to crystallize that and use it in my column at this week. That was really well said. It's very eloquent and true. So if you go back in history for a couple hundred years, you see people every picture from like the thirties, forties and fifties, somebody's dragging on a cigarette. Right. I mean, doctors were prescribing them. Yep. We have reached the point as a society and pretty much as a world that we know that that's a toxic, you know, coffin nail and we treat it like that. Um, and how long is it going to take? I mean, if you're a factory that's, that's spewing stuff into the drinking supply, eventually people come to their senses and say, Hey, this is not a uh, freedom to do business concern. This is a public health hazard. So what do you see happening and when do you see it happening? Are we getting close to a tipping point where the damage we see from this um, that's being caused again, not by the 95%, but the 5% and also the actors behind the scene. Yes. Yeah. There was that we have the will to, to change this environment. And also it's not enough to me that you see the politician or the business person who, you know, tweeted something and all of a sudden, you know, he's out of business or, you know, he's punished. He has some consequence because the great majority of these people act with impunity. There are no consequences. Yes, I would. I would agree that the, the great majority of those people don't fall into what we're now calling the cancel culture. Right. They don't get scraped up in that because this is this is the great the great hamster wheel, right? They don't get swept up in it because people wouldn't read a story about Rick from Saginaw who put comments on a website and like, that's not an interesting story, but if Rick's a congressman, right? True. Right. Because again, we're back to engagement and I, you know, I guess my hope would be that the reasonable humans speak up more. And even if you don't want to do that digitally, one of the things Mm -hmm. that I've found is extremely powerful is again, I'm not, you know, and I'm, I'm not an ideologue and I'm not being Pollyanna about this, but if you have the ability to meet somebody, you know, who is diametrically opposed to you on the same playing field and start to try and talk about an issue to see if you can come to some consensus you can start to create a pattern for yourself about how you can navigate through this and then use that in Facebook, Twitter, wherever, right? Now, that's not going to take care of all of it. It's not going to take care of the extremists. It's certainly not going to take care of somebody who thinks doxing other people is something that we should be doing. But one of the other issues is that this has become so divisive and so toxic that it has made a lot of intelligent, well-meaning people run away and leave the conversation, right? And if they leave the conversation, I'm telling you there, there is no chance, right? If, if everybody that is reasonable goes, I don't go on Facebook, Facebook will become a place that is going to be far too toxic to do business with. Now, obviously Facebook doesn't want that because they make their money off of lots of people being there. And the other problem is if we can't get real, you know, reasonable people to be a part of the conversation, we can't hope to swing the pendulum a little bit back to center. Now, you and I mm-hmm. both know, because we've done this for a long time uh, in our respective 
areas of expertise that the pendulum doesn't ever stay at the center, right? It nope. goes back and forth, no, 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 you know, right. but I, I think all of us would, should agree. We could come back a couple degrees, right? Well, it will, it will come back. It, it always, of course does. it will, but we could do it faster, right? We could, we, if we all band together, uh, I'm going to give you just wrap up with a little teaser here. Something maybe we'll be talking about in a future podcast or, or I may write about in a column, but you know, in some conversations I had with some of our news leaders, our senior director of news, Kelly Frick, and a, a couple of her her top editors uh, about perceptions, we're getting everybody writes and accuses us of bias. And I have examples here in the list I was going to get into of people from the left and right. I sure. Mean, yep. Which is it, it's that tells you it's more about their perceptions than than the because all news, mainstream news, is pretty much down the same <laughs> same middle lane. Anyways. I decided to do something about it. And I went into my past emails. I, I just did a search in my Microsoft Outlook for the word bias. <laughs> so all my all my accusations of bias would come up. And I found five people from around the state of Michigan who seemed somewhat thoughtful instead of using profanity. Sure. And uh, I set up conversations with them. And they, they were all surprised to hear from me. They're like, someone actually wants to, you're willing to listen to me? And I've had three of them so far. I got two more coming up and, you know, they range from a half hour to an hour, but they're thoughtful conversations. And on both sides, me and them have walked away thinking we got something to think about. It's hard work. <laughs> it, no, it's a hard work. And, and it goes back to your starfish analogy, right? Like, I love that you're doing that, but it's five people right, right. now. There, there is a spiraling effect of those five people who are going to tell this this mythology to a bunch of friends, and, and that will spiral out. And, you know, maybe one of the unintended consequences is you start to get more thoughtful screaming right. rants about what you guys are doing and less profanity-filled. Um, because I, I don't think, and I'm, I'm almost 100% sure you don't mean this, it's not that critique isn't welcome. Right. Right? It's, oh, no, that, that's not it at all. It's that there is a level of critique, and then there's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So anyways, this has been a great conversation and conversation is, I mean, thinking is hard. It's yes. Like people always say like writing is hard. No, you can't write till you think. Thinking is hard and being an active participant in your society and a force for good. I don't think anyone, <clears throat> most people who have healthy, uh, you know, uh, psychological and emotional, you know, faculties don't want to be an ass don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, go out and, and do bad. So I, as I said earlier, most of the people listen to this, most people who read my columns are, are well-meaning people. And I think that they are the ones, everyone's feeling affected by not just social media, but the polarization of society. It start, it does start with us. It starts with the humans who interact with humans. And so maybe we need to unplug a little bit, get out into IRL a little bit more. Uh, and, and start to relate to one another. Absolutely. Great conversation, my friend. I appreciate it. We should uh, go solo more often. We'll solve the world's problems. I, I would love that, my friend. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us on Behind the Headlines. And we'll talk to you again next week. And there he goes. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, share, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Culcran, and this is Behind the Headlines. <laughs>